Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. Yes, it is Friday the 13th. Yes, we are here live. It is a free-for-all for this first hour. It's going to go quick, so jump in and join us. Those phone lines are open. You can talk about anything you want. Uh, actually, the, the uh, next two hours will be a free-for-all. In the second hour, I'll be joined by somebody. Uh, we're looking for Joel and Henry and Alec this morning. Um, we are quitting right at 10 o'clock today. I've got to get on the road, get down to the Eugene area to pick up the coach today. Uh, we're going to spend some time in it over the weekend to make sure everything works, and I'll be taking off on my trip next week, uh, either next weekend or maybe just the Monday after. We'll see how that goes. Uh, interesting, we'll be down in Eugene during the solar eclipse tomorrow the ring of fire and eugene is one of the places where you will get a 100 percent eclipse should be able to see the full 360 ring uh as long as it's not cloudy they're saying right now it's uh it's a toss-up what else have we got going on uh we've got some phone calls coming in so i th think i'm gonna get to those quickly um Maybe I should just go to the calls. I think I will. Uh, I've got some things I could talk about if we run out of calls, but um, I'd rather talk about what you want to talk about today. So pick up the phone and keep the calls coming. Let's get started in Wisconsin. Jeffrey, welcome. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good. What can I help you with today? Well, I called, I called you last Monday. I was going to talk to you. Uh, about some trucks and uh, are those other guys on today they will be in the next hour i forgot to tell you that that on fridays i usually yeah. do the first hour oh, okay. as a free-for-all i got you i got you all right well maybe i should call back in a little while then yeah yeah it's um truck specking now when we have the whole panel really goes well yeah yeah all right yeah i didn't i didn't realize it didn't start till after the first hour all right. Well, we will uh, we'll get you back in here in just about an hour then. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Perfect. All right. Jump in and join us. 855-950-3. Oh, you know what? I just, hey, Bob in Ohio, I wasn't paying attention and I hung up on the wrong person. I'm supposed to hang up on Jeffrey. Uh, Bob, call back. Uh, we've got another call coming in. Uh, I do have a couple things I wanted to talk about. This one just makes me crazy, absolutely crazy. Our country's a mess. We are broke. We are so far beyond broke. We are so far in debt. It's just insane. And yet we keep spending money on this stupid green agenda. Here's the headline from Transport Topics. Biden awards seven awards $7 billion for clean hydrogen hubs across the U.S. Goal is for hubs to help replace fossil fuels. This is not the time to replace fossil fuels. This is the time to drill, baby, drill. We should be drilling and pumping and producing as much fossil fuel as we possibly could, and that may be the one way to create a soft landing in this recession but that's obviously not going to happen. Instead of doing that, we're spending $7 billion more. I mean, there's so many subsidies and tax breaks and bullshit for the Green New Deal, whatever the hell they're calling it these days. 
I, I just uh, I just don't get it. Unless you're trying to destroy a country, I don't know why you would be doing these things. Um, part of that, um, here's another headline. Truck costs likely to skyrocket in the coming years. Again, more of the green agenda. Um, quote, goaded by tightening emissions regulations, but stoked by rising labor costs and other factors, ACT Research forecast medium and heavy-duty vehicle costs will rise between 12 and 14% as the EPA's clean trucks regulation goes live in 2027. So this is another uh, event that will screw up the used, new and used truck market. Fleets will have to start pre-buying. This is also an area where owner-operators can create an advantage. Uh, I wish all this green crap would just go away until we can actually get our country back on track, but it doesn't look like it's going to. One of the discussions I'm having on social media is um, these groups that are still calling for strikes and shutdowns because the rates are too low. Owner-operators or small carriers striking over low rates is, is just one of the most ignorant things I've seen. It just shows a total lack of understanding of how our economy works, how a free market works. And anytime I say free market, they start screaming, it's not free, it's not free, we've got regulations. Well, well of course we have regulations. That's not the definition of a free market. A free market is where the government isn't interfering directly with cost and rates. And for the most part, they're not, not directly. So yes, it's still mostly a free market. You can strike all you want. If there are more trucks, trailers, and drivers than there are loads, the rates will continue to go down and they'll stay down until that dynamic changes. That's how this works. It's how it's always worked. It's how it's always will work. And not once do they ever talk about cutting expenses. Not once. And yet every article I post about trucking bankruptcies talk about expenses. I posted another one this morning that said fuel cost is what put them out of business. Another fleet. If I had more time, I would love to go around and interview these, these owner-operators and companies that go out of business and ask them what they've done to manage fuel cost even, just one cost. What have you done to manage your fuel cost? And I can tell you about 90% of the time, the answer is going to be a blank stare. It's insane to me that in this industry, there is so little effort put into improving the single biggest cost. Owner-operators don't have to go out and buy the new 2027 emissions regulations. The fleets have to at some point. They just can't help it. But owner-operators just don't want to hear that they actually have to work controlling expenses and being competitive. All right. Calls are starting to come in. I'm going to get to them. Uh, there's a, I'm going to jump the line here. Bob, sorry about that. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. I started to touch yesterday on the uh, my stomach issues, and that was the second to last caller, so I kind of cut it short. Okay, let's talk but about it. to make it. a long story short, I had stage four Barrett's esophagus, which is cancer of the esophagus. Correct. Um, I was going to Roswell Park for 30-plus years, 
which is a cancer institute in Buffalo. Um, they got the cancer under control without surgery. Okay. I went on your I went on your keto diet, and I got it well back under control. I mean, I I feel like a million bucks from having reflux every night to to get along. Excellent. Okay. Well, about six six months ago, I hit one hell of a stumbling block. They found that because I was some of the food I was not actually digesting, and I even though I was taking uh, uh, hydrochloric supplement, um, they were telling me that a lot of my bloating was because of a valve at the bottom of my stomach wasn't opening and dumping. Correct. That is your so low, I said, that is the lower esophageal pharynx. Yes. I'm glad you can say that because I couldn't. Yeah, I'm not even sure I got that exactly right. Anyway, it's still too early for stuff like that, but I was close. I'm still working on my first. No, here, no I, I, yeah, um, it is early. It's your lower esophageal sphincter. That's what it is. Right. Anyway, they needed to go in through my esophagus and cut to the sidewall of my stomach, the lining, and get to it to do what they had to do. I elected okay for the surgery. So they put me on a liquid diet. They said, you have to be on a, and when I agreed to it, they told me I had to be on a liquid diet for about a week, three days before and three or four days after. That way it would allow your stomach to heal. Okay. Well, that did not happen. When I actually agreed to it, they said that it would be three days before. So I went on a liquid diet. Now, granted, what can you really drink or eat other than just bone broth? Bone bone broth every now, day. Now, when they say probably what I should have done. When they say liquid diet, and there are actually different definitions for different things. Is it possible Clear. that you can liquefy your food and drink it? Or are they just saying natural oh, liquids? They okay, wanted, got it. Okay. Yeah, they wanted natural liquids. You're right, then. There's because not that was much. One and, I had. Um, really, bone broth would be your best bet. It's about the only liquid I could think of that you're actually going to get some nourishment out of. I can't imagine that dairy would work very well during something like this. Well, here's where my problem came. I went in for the surgery. I got done with the surgery. I went home. The doctor told me that I could not eat solid foods until I came back for a checkup, which turned out to be three weeks later. Oh, oh, that's well, now awful. My body, now my body is, I'm right back to square one. I've got reflux so bad. I've tried going back on keto. I've gone straight carnivore. I'm back on my supplement for the hydrochloric acid. I cannot seem to get a handle on it to get it back under control. Any ideas? Boy, um, I'm going to have to think about this one. Part of the problem, three weeks on a liquid diet, and there was almost no reason for your body to produce stomach acid. It's exactly. almost it's almost like we turned the system off and now we're not able to get it restarted. Um, oh wow. I, I actually I mean I look at a glass of water and I got heartburn. I'm stumped. Um, I'm gonna have to think about this one for a while. I've I've never dealt with um, a situation like this and I'm trying to think why why this would be you know i could see how long has this gone on now when did you start eating whole food again 
I had the surgery in June, Ooh. and I started Ooh. eating whole food on the 4th of July, and I did wow. not overdo it. Wow. Why is this not restarting? Why are we still having this problem? Um, you know, when you eat carnivore... is it possible, like, H- Is it possible Sorry, what? H. pylori or something like that? I, it, is it, it is possible. It is possible. Um, it may be something we need to test for. Boy, I'm just, uh, uh, you know, when you eat carnivore, you're getting the nutrients you need to produce good stomach acid. All, almost all of the nutrients we need to produce good stomach acid come from animal products. So uh, I'm wondering why we can't get your digestion restarted after all of this. Um, you know, I can go do some research on this. I don't know what I'm going to come up with. It, I, like I said, I haven't dealt with an issue quite like this yet. Um, would it be in the budget or would it be possible for you to see a good functional medicine doctor? I, I would love, it is in my budget. I would love to. And closest one to Buffalo, New York is into, uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, here's the good news, though. I'm thinking somebody like Dr. Wolfson, and he almost all good functional medicine doctors now work remote. It really isn't necessary okay. to go in. Um, even if they need something checked, there are ways they can send somebody to you or you send you to someplace else to get a test done if they need to. Um, I, I'm thinking that we need somebody with more medical knowledge than what I've got to figure out why this isn't happening the way we think it should like i say i'll go do some research and and um if i come up with something i'll if you want to stay in touch and keep calling i'll see what i can find but i'm i'm thinking you've been suffering with this for a long time now we should probably just get to somebody that has a good chance of figuring it out yeah i don't i thought about doing a fast but I don't know if a fast would I, I, actually jumpstart it. I, I'm almost thinking that would be a bad idea. Like I said, if, you're, if there's no food, there's no reason for your body to produce stomach acid. And I, I'm almost thinking that part of that, that liquid fast, because that's kind of what that was, was a liquid fast, is, is almost what created the problem. But here's... here's Oh, here's another reason why I want somebody medical. You know what? That I did just have an idea. You know what the most likely cause of this is? It may have okay. nothing whatsoever to do with stomach acid. The, you, that that valve, the your esophageal sphincter, is probably not working right. I know that's what they were supposed to be fixing, but what if they didn't fix it? I mean, that is what causes heartburn. That is the true cause of heartburn is that valve won't close. They were saying it wouldn't open. Now, again. No, I'm out, out, Kevin. Hold on. Go ahead. You are on the right theory there, except it was the sphincter at the bottom of my stomach, not at the top. Oh, oh, okay. That's not the lower esophageal then. Um. No, now, it's, it's that, the one at the bottom of the stomach where it goes into the intestines. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we need a doctor. Okay. 
Yeah, we need a doctor. I'm going to do some research just because I'm curious and I'd like to see if I can figure something out on my own, but I don't want you waiting on that. All right. I'll get a hold of uh, a good doctor, functional doctor. I start with and Dr. When Wolfson. When I find out something, I'll call you back and let you know. Yeah, I would recommend starting with Dr. Wolfson. And, and if he thought that there was somebody better that he knows and he has a huge network of colleagues, um, I'm sure he would send you if he thinks he could, if he knows what's going on and knows how to help, he'll do that as well. So it would be a good place to start. All right, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, that is, uh, that's a little challenging. Hmm. You know, I, I'm just thinking that somehow damage was done here and the stomach's not producing acid because of that damage. You know, this is another case where we can help with nutrition, but the system's been messed with here. Uh, so I, I just don't have enough understanding of of how all those parts work medically to really tackle one like this. Let's uh, let's go to West Virginia. Mike, welcome to the program. Oh, hey, Gavin, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Hey, well, I actually had one question about the X3, but then two other ones came across while we were talking. Um, first was I had to take my 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 wife to the doctors because she had she was breaking out in hives and so forth and so on, and of course. She had something else going on, and of course, she knew what the doctors were going to do. Yes. And the doctor sat down with us for like uh, probably 25 minutes and just went through his whole spiel and went through three things he could do. And of course, the third one is he prescribed these two drugs. I had no idea what they were. And then I said, there's no possible way. You know, take three of these and take two of these and come back in 90 days. What were and the first one, two uh, things that they right. recommended? Uh uh, what was the first was kind of he was kind of talking diet a little bit, but he said if if you're eating something right now and it happens right now, it's that issue. It's the food. If you eat it and it doesn't happen for a while, then it could be something else. What what are the what are and the symptoms exactly? What is what's happened? The symptoms were um, breaking out in hives. Um, what was the second one? It was uh, primarily breaking out and low energy. Okay. So um, give me and, some and I, some background here. How old is she? She's, let's see, I'm 56. She's 59. Okay. Uh, and I can tell you what, I, I'll cut to the chase on this real quick, is here's the thing. I know it's her diet, and yes. simply put. Yes. And so when we get out of the doctor's office, so I eat nothing but vital choice and um, U.S. wellness. Okay. So she's been, so lately, probably in the last year, I think I got her turned corner a little bit because I think I'm not saying a whole lot, but I'm just being an example. Right. So after she came out, she called one of her, I said, call one of her friends who's pharmaceutical. And they said, no, you shouldn't even be taking three of those. So anyhow, long story short, two weeks ago, I got her to get to see a functional medicine doctor okay. in town. So we're heading down that path and I got her on board. She's done all the blood tests and she's had her first I was able to sit in the first session with her functional medicine doctor. And I, I thought I was talking to you. Seriously. Um, I pretty much understood everything she was talking about. Good. Actually, she, Good. He, he, she, she, narrowed it, she narrowed it down preliminary to probably leaky gut. Um, what's the other common um, issues? Um, leaky gut. Uh, uh, 
I told her two things, and then she, so, this, this doctor came back and basically said. Yeah, leaky gut is where I would focus first. What's happening here is her immune system is overactive. That's what's ca- It's actually her body causing all of these symptoms, and we just should not be that reactive to food. And it, it happens when right. leaky gut creates the the basis for autoimmune conditions because our immune system gets ramped up and it gets overactive and it's on the war path. And that's what the, the breakouts, the hives. Now, the danger here, um, does she already have, and I have to ask because it's so common, any kind of autoimmune condition now? Well, that was that was mentioned from the first doctor. He said there's some type of autoimmune issue going on, and that's why he prescribed these two drugs. And I'm like, no. Well, so she's probably due. We we live in West Virginia, but we also live in Lake Norman, and that's who we're going to the functional medicine doctor down in Lake Norman. Okay, and she'll have her second appointment probably in about ten days. So yeah, if if she doing more blood work, if she doesn't have an autoimmune condition yet, she will. It's just right. a matter of time well, it, that that her immune system is going to attack an organ someplace. And if it's the thyroid, she's going to have autoimmune thyroid issues. If it's her joints, it's going to be right. um, arthritis. It, if it's her digestive tract, she's going to have Crohn's. It's, so we know that when the immune system gets overactivated like this, that's that's our biggest concern. You know, I am right. still of the mind that. The first step is all, and if we want to eliminate a lot of expensive testing and the, the, the more strict somebody can get with their diet, either a very strict, clean keto or carnivore or ketovore, it only takes a couple of weeks to see if that's going to really help a lot or not. So I would still tell people functional medicine doctors are great. And you're going to hear me send a lot of people to them, just like I did this last caller. But in some cases, and this would be one of them, we don't have anything specific to go after here yet. You know, the first thing I would do would be a a food sensitivity test, but that's $500, uh, we don't really know what we're looking for. We don't have an autoimmune condition that's really presented itself yet. We know we have an overactive immune system. My advice would be I wouldn't spend a lot of money testing at this point. It's not that you won't find something. You might. But what you're going to find would probably have been fixed by a good change in the diet anyway. So if she's up well, for it, what, I would say get she, really strict on the diet for two or three weeks and see what happens. Yeah, and and I think what she thinks is strict certainly is not what I think is strict. But you know, she's cut a lot of crap out, and like I said, I'm I'm making all the meals, and you know, she still gets off track a little bit, but a hell of a lot better than she's done forever, really. Yeah, I I would think if she can continue that trend, you may be able to take care of this one on your own. Well, that's what I think, too. And, you know, I just keep telling her, I said, we can go to any doctor you want, but if you don't change your diet. Yeah, it's not going to matter. Any any good functional medicine doctor that doesn't tell her to radically change her diet, then I would run the other way. No, I agree. I agree. Um, But anyhow, no, I thought I'd pass that along. It just was interesting. Same, Same Same old story and the same old doctors. Yeah, and um, you know, it, you know it, I, 
You know, here's the thing. The medical community actually got it right. They're they're worried about an autoimmune condition, so good for them on that. It's just I don't like their solutions. Their solutions are to give her drugs that will suppress her immune system. Yeah, that's what it was. He had yeah. two, two other options on the middle. That's yeah. what it was. He said, I can give you this, this immunosuppressant uh, this prescription. It acts, yeah, act, well, it acts, acts like a Pepsi. And I said, well, you're going to kill the stomach acid. And he looked at me funny. <laughs> and then he goes, well, that, that doesn't work. He goes, this is just down the road. We could always go to a, a PPI. I said, absolutely not. Well, and uh, that's, that's what well, it was. Wait a minute. And I'm wait like, minute. that's amazing. I, it, is she having some sort of heartburn? No, not at all. Boy, not at I'm all. confused. Why are they thinking yeah. antacids and PPIs? He, he said something. Up to, it had nothing to do with heartburn. It had, I, I can't remember how he, why he was using that to address her, address her symptoms. Here, here's, here's but, boy, I, I just thought of something. If we have leaky gut now, did this doctor ever mention leaky gut? He did not. He did okay, mention because he did mention the he did, you know, he did throw out the there's there's an autoimmune or something in your body attacking something. Yeah, here's the problem. That's what he said. He, here's the problem. Traditional doctors don't believe in leaky gut. They just don't think it exists and that it's an issue. He's on the right track with the autoimmune, but it's leaky gut that causes autoimmune. Again, doctors never search for the root cause. All they do is look for the symptoms. So, but here's my thought. That idea of suppressing her stomach acid when we have leaky gut is the worst idea I've ever heard. Because what happens in leaky gut is anything that's in your digestive tract is going to end up in your bloodstream because your gut is leaking. That's what causes the autoimmune. That's what ramps up the immune system. Now, if you also weaken and take away the stomach acid, everything will get to the gut. That is our first layer of protection. So everything in her environment, every little virus, bacteria, yeast, fungi, everything is going to make it right through the stomach, end up in the small intestine and go right into her bloodstream. That's a horrible idea. Well, that was that was his that was his first one of the first drugs out of the two. One of them that he recommended, and it was a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical grade type Pepsi. Unbelievable. And then we're like, that makes no sense whatsoever. That is that is almost like guaranteeing you're going to give her an autoimmune condition, and who knows what else. Yes. What a horrible idea. It is. Yes, or Wednesday you had. my other thought here on Wednesday, uh, you had a caller on there talking about triglycerides and about how you should get them checked or when you should get them checked. And the last time I got mine checked, and I only do this for my own knowledge, not because I'm worried about cholesterol. Okay. But mine, mine were high, and they're higher from before. And you could have I work out ju- just so days. you know. You could have taken the same test six hours later and got a completely different number. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. But what caught my attention, and I didn't get to listen to the whole article, was I work out. Six, my morning routine is, and I do the X3 bar. I mean, I do a 25 minute workout on it. Okay. And I actually cut back as of last week. I went back to five days because now I'm doing more sauna and more more just getting outside and walking around. Good. Good. And it got me thinking: is 
you know, anytime I usually text, I get up in the morning, I go to my routine. If I, my mind, cause I went to every little well and did it, you know? Right. And I'm thinking the last couple of times I've done them, I've always worked out. I mean, that's part of, you know, and, that was, and, and that, I just wonder. That will absolutely change your numbers. What you eat changes that number pretty quickly. I, I am just at the point where I see no purpose for people like you who are eating a good diet, doing the right things around stress. I, I see no purpose in the testing whatsoever. I, I don't see any information I'm going to get from it that would matter. Uh, is it 134 high for H or for triglycerides? Oh, no. No, Mike, we see people spike up into the three and 400 range and it doesn't bother me. Oh, all right. Well, that's no, kind of I why mean, I, I don't I test. I, it, it, here's the thing. You're either eating something other than a paleo based diet and your cholesterol is going to be a mess or you're eating a good paleo based diet and your cholesterol is what it is. And I don't care. Yeah, that's what it is. Cause, um, I mean, I, I eat clean. I mean, this well, morning, I, actually, I, I usually don't eat so noon. And, you know, today was chicken, thighs, avocado, and about three eggs. There you go. That's, not, that's your, normal for me. Your cholesterol will be just fine. I, I don't see any reason to test. Okay. I appreciate and, that information. And the yeah. idea that we want low cholesterol, we, we've just got to get that out of people's heads. We just do not want low cholesterol. Oh. And I know you know that. I'm not worried. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not worried about low cholesterol. I was just, I was just curious about triglycerides after the caller on Wednesday. They, it, as far as testing um, goes, I think it's almost the worst reason because triglycerides will be all over the board. They can change rapidly, so I don't see how it even gives us any good information at all. Okay, well, that's good to know. That, I, that's reassurance, I guess. Because I, I mean, I've been listening to you probably since seventeen. So, uh, but the last thing I main reason I was calling is I, I hear you talking about the X3 bar. Um, and like I said, I've been doing that now. I'm in two and a half years into it, five to six days a week. Of course, I love so, it. I mean, it's something so let me, I'm addicted to. Let me, I know you're going to have a hard time getting this. It took me about 30 years to figure this out. Uh, five days a week, 25 minutes a day is too much. I know. I understand that. And, and it's I, not, you know, it took me a long, it it's not that it's going to hurt Yeah, it won't hurt anything. But what it does is it really just, you're wasting time. There, there's time you're putting into this that you're not getting a return. It's not going to hurt anything. And you will gain. Right. There's no doubt. You'll be healthier. You'll feel better. You'll be stronger. It's just you could get the same results with less time. Now, I will say this. You know, if you use the extra time to work on different muscle groups, that would be okay. But I would still stick another day of rest in there. I would probably only do this four days a week. And if you wanted to do 25 or 30 yeah, I, minutes because you're hitting some other muscle groups, that'd be fine. Well, that's what I'm doing. I don't do anything twice. So if I were to do yeah, a curl, that, I don't do more than one. Perfect. Yeah, I, I so, would I mean, just I would give your body more. more rest in between the workouts. Okay, here's That's a just hard. You know, here, here's one way to look at years it. And here's another schedule to try. Does it does it matter to you if it's a weekday or a weekend? No, not at all. Then I would I'll try. In the morning when I get up to get then I would try a schedule of every other day. Good idea. 
Now, you, and the reason I asked if, if you, you know, some people only want to work out on weekdays and they want to skip the weekends. Well, that won't work if you try doing every other day because there's seven days in a week. So your weeks are always going to be different. I like, I like starting out on a Sunday and then Monday morning after Monday morning's workout, I'm like, up oh, two, two, two workouts in already this week. <laughs> it's only Monday. Yeah, I, I would try um, every other day. I'll give that a shot. That gives your body um, plenty of time to recover, and you know you won't be overtraining. Okay. I'll, I'll give that a shot because then I'll, I'll be sitting idle like I feel like I would be. But Yeah, um, and, but and since you're into you. the habit of these things, then you just use that off day for things like sauna and cold exposure and getting out walking, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, so I ended up buying a, a good health sauna, and uh, they have all three – spectrums of the infrared good i don't know if you've ever heard of that brand yeah i remember well. good health when i was doing the the research there are plenty of of brands of really good saunas out there we settled on sauna space for a lot of reasons dr wolfson uses uh sunlighten which is another good company so yeah there there are right. several out there yeah i'm not sure how we land on it but it's it's working so, good, good but the main reason i wanted to ask was you, you talk about uh the reps on the X3. Right. And, and I keep hearing you say, you know, no, no less than 15, no more than 30, but he actually promotes up to 40. Yeah. I, it, I don't know if you, I have seen that. Is that too much? Well, I think there's a, there is a personal aspect here and there's even, I've even found differences in muscles and I'll explain. I could see doing 40, for something like forearms and calves, the smaller muscles, maybe even biceps. I just don't think there's enough gain, if any, above 30 to, to take the time to go to 40. I would rather go up in weight instead of up in reps. And here's the thing, 15 to 30 is a huge stretch for me to begin with. When I worked out, six was the low number and 12 was the high number. I never did yeah. anything more I than 12. That. Right. So uh, that's the same way I was. To me, that switch from 15 is my lowest number and 30 is my highest. I It took me a while, but I did it and it worked. And I, I could see the benefits of it. I don't see the benefits yeah, I'm, when I'm I go to 40. Now I'm contemplating of going to that fifth band because I do 40 clean on a on a squat. Oh yeah, you then and 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 here's the thing. I'm not I a said the small muscle groups might respond better to that 40 rep. I'm not going to do it. 30s plenty for me. Uh, big muscle groups like squats, I wouldn't even think about it. In fact, on squats, I never even let myself get to 30. If I get to 20 or 25 yeah. on the squats, I'll try to go up a band and get just back to 15 again. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm only 160 pounds. I don't, you know, really don't have any, any fat on me. That's awesome. And yeah, lean, I, lean and um, hitting 40. And, and I guess maybe I'm just a little intimidated by the, the, the fifth band. Just looks like it's just oh, huge. It's, but I it, guess if I'm getting 40 <laughs> on fourth band. You should be able to do it. Yeah. And, and I would say this. Let's say that you're getting 40 on that other band and you go to the big one and you only get 10. I would stick with the big one and do 10 and I would just keep working up. Oh, uh, that's a good idea. B 
big muscle groups like that are, are different. Squats and deadlifts are probably the most effective workout we could do, but I think those you should go heavier, not more reps. Okay. 15 to me is plenty okay, I on those. Oh, that's what I'll work on then. All right. Well, this is Kevin. I really appreciate your time and everything you do for everyone. It's, you know, very helpful. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Missouri. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Just got to delivery. I got a real quick question on technology, and this is I'm dead serious when I ask this. My phone is in a holder on my dash. My tablet is on a holder on my dash. I listen to your program through the tablet because it's wired in through the truck speakers. Okay. I believe on Tuesday, excuse me, I believe on Tuesday you were had a conversation with Bruce about your new schedule, and you were talking about the Starlink satellite dish. Right. Ever since that show, I have gotten numerous Starlink ads on Facebook. <laughs> Is it really a connection? And I'm, I'm dead serious when I ask that. No, How did I, that I, happen? I, I'm not joking. I, I, I'm not joking. I'm laughing because I, I don't understand this either. I see people do this all the time. I, I see people talking about this all the time that, it got crazy enough that people said, I don't even think I said the word. I was just thinking about it and stuff started showing up on my feed. I, I, it, it does happen. And I, I don't know. Uh, I guess they really are listening. All right. Well, I, it's I, mean, not I, a, I don't think it's I a ridiculous question at all. I, I you know, for people who have Alexas and, and digital assistants and they use Siri a lot and, you know, they leave these things on so they're listening in the background, I just wonder. They're not supposed to be listening until you actually ask them something, but who knows? Well, the only connection I saw between Starlink and, and the phone was what you said on the radio with the phone sitting in the folder. So. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty scary, I know. And I think a lot of people well, have is. experienced this, and, and you really start to wonder what exactly is happening. All right. I just got a spooky, I guess. So. Yeah, I agree. And like I say, I, I've been seeing right. this for, for several years now. Uh, this phenomenon of you talked about now, look, if you do a search for something, you can absolutely expect you're going to start seeing more of those ads that anytime you see something pop up and, and your computer, your phone, whatever, and it talks about cookies, those aren't chocolate chip cookies. Cookies are how they track what you're doing online. And if you turn off all cookies, there are some websites that just won't even work. But that's, um, that's what they're using to track what's going on. Now, when people say, well, I never searched, all I did was talk about it, and yet this happens, then that's when I really start wondering. Let's, uh, let's go to Indiana. Jeremy, welcome. Hello, fearless leader. What's on your mind today? Uh, question. Um, what's your opinion on converging converting uh an rv type coach you know uh, they call them schoolies i you broke up a little bit there are you talking about converting a school bus yeah what's your opinion on those conversions you know um and, and as far as school buses so what are you going to use this vehicle for of star just 
you know, recreational, you know, not, not, not cross country, just, you know, hundreds, hundreds of miles, you know, hundred mile trips, 200 mile trips. Okay. They'd be fine for that. Um, these vehicles, I would not want to take a retired school bus across the country as an RV, no matter what. I mean, you could. Um, I just wouldn't want to. They're really not designed for extended highway miles. Uh, the nice thing about converting something like this is you can control how much the conversion costs and how in-depth it is. Um, I've seen people do nothing but, yeah. you know, throw a frame and a mattress and a porta potty in one, you know, like a, a composting toilet and, a, right. you know, some propane and a gas stove. I mean, you can do a really, really inexpensive yeah. conversion if you want, and then you can add to it as you go. So for somebody who's fairly yeah. handy now, if you have to start paying other people to do a lot of this work, it's going to get expensive. If you're handy enough that you're going to do a lot of yeah. this yourself, it's a it's a pretty good way to go for the kind of vehicle you're looking for. Yeah, and, and uh, also I'm finding even purchasing one that someone uh, isn't going to it's already converted. Oh, okay. You know, and and they're they're kind of done with it. Yeah, I mean, like like uh, and and I was looking at the engine. You know, they I didn't they used to use, and I'm talking about internationals. Most of them I see like a straight six and, and this one I'm looking like 2000 year 2000. It's a, it's now it's a V8 diesel V8. Is that uh I, if I have, four, four. if I have my options and you should, I want, when it comes to diesel engines, V8s are not good configurations. Diesels do much better in a Why straight line configuration. Gas engines do great in, in, in a yeah. V formation. Diesels don't. Okay. So I, I would okay. stick yeah, to Yeah, why the, did they change? Uh, who knows? I mean, it, why does Ford produce a V8 diesel instead of an inline six? I don't know. The, the inline six is, is such a... Um, that's, that's the format, the configuration Better. we've almost always used. The Every time we've kind of tried the V configurations, they just don't work that well. There's not enough of them, so people okay. aren't as familiar with working on them. Uh, International's mid-size diesels, the inline sixes, are just workhorses. They've been around forever. That 2000 okay. is pre-emission. Um, that, that, that'd be an ideal engine for this vehicle. A pre-emission six-cylinder international okay. diesel in a bus would be ideal. Okay, so I might have to go like 96 or something, right? 98 or something uh, to find it. But, okay. And, and can you explain, do you know, can you explain a vapor barrier as far as like in a, in a, in a coach or RV, you know, they, like when, when some people start adding wood to like, let's say the school bus and they, if they try to put, you know, home insulation in there first and then put the wood over it, I heard it kind of creates like a, you can get mold growing, you know, if you don't spray foam and some about a vapor barrier. Yeah. And a vapor barrier is similar in home construction. We use vapor barriers. I, I'm not going to claim that I know the right way to build this from the walls in. So I, I that's something you're going to okay. have to do a little research on, ask so people barrier. about. But, but a yeah. vapor barrier, okay. we use them in home construction too. 
So it sounds like we don't want it, though, in an RV, maybe. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I would think oh, that okay. you okay. probably would want one. But again, there, oh, okay. Oh, okay. if you go do some digging, you will find what the proper construction order is to start building walls inside of this. It's, the information's out okay. there. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether, yeah. you know, what's the best insulation, what's Maybe the we, best way to do this, but, it, but it's out there. It yeah. shouldn't be hard to find. Okay. Maybe, yeah. If we do, if the, we want a vapor barrier, but we don't, we want to make sure it doesn't start growing mold if it has to have the right uh, environment, maybe, or something. Yeah. So one of of the challenges, and and again, I'm not even close to an expert on any of this stuff when it comes to construction processes, but one of the things we want to do with a home, we want it well insulated for heating and cooling, but we have to be careful that it's not so well insulated that it doesn't breathe. I know what we're trying to uh, okay. accomplish. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the methods are for accomplishing it, but we, we're trying to insulate and close things up so we hold in heat and cooling. And that's especially important in RVs because you've got to put a pretty hefty AC system on to keep one of these things cool when the sun's beating down on it. So anything you can do for insulation helps a lot. Uh, and if you're going to use it in cold temperatures, you really want insulation. But we have to be careful that we don't insulate it in a way that seals it up and causes these moisture issues. Mm. And we don't want it because it will also yeah. keep all of those nasty off-gassing chemicals inside there. We, we want these things to breathe so we get an exchange of fresh air. Okay. Yeah. So I know I know what we're trying to do, but I can't even begin to tell you how you do it. Okay, yeah, I mean they were built obviously without the wood walls, so yeah, you adding wood walls could create a problem. Yeah, yeah, we could also just go look at how they build RVs. It's going to be the same thing. Whatever method they're using to insulate and and seal that wall or put in a vapor barrier. Whatever they're doing, we would want to copy that on a bus. It sounds good. Okay, cool. All right. Anything else today? I'll keep looking. All right. When you when you figure it out, let me know. I'd be curious to know, too. All right. Uh, I'm, I've got one more call on the board. It's actually pretty quiet. Uh, jump in and join us. Uh, let me see if we have any uh, no news from... Uh, from the guys yet, from the team, we'll see uh, what's happening. But pick up the phone and join me, 855-950-3835. We're going to head off to BC. Colin, welcome. Hey, how are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? I got a quick question. With all the preservation you do of food, have you looked into glassing your eggs? You use it's called pickling lime, I think. It's, and you store them in glass jars, and apparently they keep for like two or three years. It's funny you ask, because last week on the Destination Health Show, I came out and asked for feedback from people who had ever done it. And my question was, I've, I see how oh, to do it. I'm, it, it, I'm two weeks behind listening to the show. So. Okay. <laughs> it, it, I, I know how to do it. I've studied it. It's pretty straightforward. It looked like a great option. But before I did it, 
I wanted to hear from somebody, does it change the egg in any way? I know it preserves it, and you're right. I've, I've seen two or three years sometimes. Uh, my question was, if somebody has done this, what is that egg like in two years? Is it is it just like the any other The only thing egg? I've found online about that is that the yolk, there, the white goes very, very runny, almost goes like a more like a water than a huh. egg yolk or egg white has a bit more thickness to it it's the one thing i that's the one difference i read yeah but yeah we have access to all kinds of like we go through like four dozen farmings a week we use we eat eggs a ton uh my kids love them for breakfast we got rid of the cereal but Good. they have it for Good. history but yeah it's we have bacon and eggs almost every day when i when my wife she gets the up with the kids and awesome but yeah we have access to eggs like that are grown five minutes from our house so i want to figure out a way to because it's always hard in the winter time. Some places their production's down by like eighty percent in the winter. So right. I want to be able to store, you know, twenty or thirty dozen before winter starts. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking uh, the production out of our eggs during the winter will probably match our consumption. So the winter might be just about perfect. Okay, right now, really I, I get so many eggs that I, I've just got eggs everywhere right now. So I guess I'm going to start giving them to the. I, I mean, I haven't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have enough friends to give them away to right now. I'll probably start giving them to the food bank because the ladies are just cranking out eggs right now. Uh, but I, I think I'm going One to try the One curious thing glassing. I saw was a, um, I, I saw online somebody that lives in Alaska. They have big crocs that they just keep it full of liquid and they don't even seal it. The eggs just go in it. And when they need one, they just go reach in there and pull them out. And that's like instead of a fridge or they can keep huh. dozens and dozens in this big ceramic pot kind of thing with a lid on it interesting um, and they just make sure the liquid stays above them so yeah there seems so, to be a ton of info but <clears throat> the, you know the internet's kind of a weird place where all kinds of information exists absolutely yeah <laughs> it, it you know on one hand we have access to all kinds of information on the other hand we don't know what part of it's right and wrong <laughs> if we have to go yeah. look it up to begin with and we find three different answers how do we know which one's right um, but so I, I have heard from people on the glassing. They say it works great, you know, uh, so I, I'm going to give it a shot. I, I'm getting ready to do that. If it wasn't so busy, I probably would have already tried it already. Yeah, I think I'm just going to jar and put a dozen eggs in and give it a month or two and pull some out and see what happens. See what happens. Exactly. Like you and, say, why don't we just try it out? Yeah, and and that's how I would do it. I would I would do enough of them that I'm going to try a couple eggs in a month and see what they're like. I'm going to try a couple more in two months and six months and just keep trying them to see if at some point they change or not. Well, even a month is, I don't even think that's very long because I keep, like I bring eggs on the truck. Um, summer's a little different, but it lasts weeks just on the Oh, Colin, I think I lost you completely. Um, I'm not hearing anything now. Oh, uh, we just lost the line. Um, Yeah, Colin, I agree. I'm going to give this a try. But when you say a month, you're right. Um, I have in the past taken eggs that I bought at a grocery store. Now, these are the really high-end pastured eggs, vital choice, those kind of, not vital choice, vital farms, um, vital farms. I've taken commercial, now they're, again, pastured eggs. I've used those a month past the expiration date. I have no idea when those eggs were laid. I I have a feeling that it takes 
a while for a commercial egg to get to me. And then they put an expiration date on it. And then I check them using the float method. Seems to work okay. Uh, If you're not sure if an egg is fresh or not or fresh enough to eat, what I've always read is you just put it in water. If it sinks to the bottom, it's good. If it floats at the very top, you shouldn't eat it. And if it's somewhere in the middle, uh, you might be taking your chances. So I tend to eat eggs that sink to the bottom and nothing that floats off the bottom. That seems to work. But I've had eggs that are a month past the expiration date and they still sink. And I eat them and as far as I know, I haven't gotten sick from it. Let's, uh, let's continue with the calls. Let's go to Texas. Brian, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, want to pick your brain a little bit on some investing and some funds, basically comparing things to an S&P 500 index fund. Over the last few years, I've been working with a financial advisor, and I didn't really understand what he was putting my money into. I was kind of going into it a little a little blind. I would walk in and they'd all kind of give them a lump sum of money a few times a year as to, uh, for tax benefits. And let me ask you, I had extra funds. Let me ask you a question. Um, is this a fee based financial planner where you pay them out of your own pocket for their advice or are they making their money off commissions? I believe it, it, he is making money off a of commission. Yeah, if you're not writing him a check, he's making money no. off commissions. I, I'm not it, a big fan of this. Yep, yep. Trying to get away from him, I've actually pulled the majority of my money away from him, and I'm going. I'm basically taking it upon myself with Vanguard, and I got four funds in mind. Like I said, I, I looked at what he had me into, and basically just compared it to a the S and P 500 index fund to realize that what he had me in was was very underperforming yes it was just it was Not, just sickening yeah to except sit there and realize that i've lost on um, lost right. the growth on this stuff i know it, the whole financial planning industry is awful in my opinion and i didn't figure that out until i was a part of it um it, it's pro- I, it, the, these funds yeah. are performing really well for him well yeah and i just don't understand them in in you know I didn't have a, I, I don't have a difficult strategy, but he had me in like 12 different funds. See, that's, so in, that's it, it just insane like right there. Right. Yes. And that, this makes me think like he makes a commission every time he opens up a new fund for me. He does. And he absolutely least, does. Yeah. That's, that's. And every time he yep, moves yep. you. So, so when they come around and go, Oh, you yeah. know, this, this fund's not doing all that well, we're going to put you over in this one. They get paid again. Right. So, um, in the process, like I said, of uh, taking that upon myself, and I got three, three Vanguard funds in mind, and um, it's the timing now that I'm 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 questioning. You know, how, I, how I'm uh, going to move out of these uh, forty-eight. Don't worry about the timing. And just just do it. This is non-retirement money. I'm, I'm, I do have some retirement also. That okay, this, good. This, this good. what I'm working on right now is non-retirement. But my strategy is I've kind of got the three bucket um, strategy in mind, where this is a this is um, kind of 
this is just an individual brokerage that I want to get my hands on at 55 and so I can start slowing down okay. and use it to supple- supplement my income good. from 55 until like 60 until I get my hands on retirement funds. Oh, good That's plan. kind of my strategy. So, okay. So then it, should I do, like you said, just, just turn around and reinvest it even though things are it, pretty much at a record high right now? Yes, you absolutely should. Don't worry about timing. You'll never get it right anyway. Even if it would matter and we thought we could get it right, it won't matter and we won't get it right. So just this is a good plan. You need to get out of these multiple funds that he's got you in that are underperforming and stop paying all these fees. Yeah, just just, just pull the trigger on your plan. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was Yep, I, I, I'm I'm comfortable and I'm and I'm and I'm, uh, I'm happy with what I I understand for the first time. Good. I understand the investments that I'm going into. And like you said, you know, you only invest in things that you understand. That's right. So um, yeah, and so then I'm like I said, I'm going to cash out, and I just was just wondering about if I should sit sit back and try to time it or just just do it. Just do it. So yeah, okay, great, great, all right. Thank you for your advice as usual. Appreciate everything you do. You're welcome. Good good plan. Good to have a plan. And that is a good plan. And I love it when somebody takes responsibility for their own money. Um, I, I, our financial planning industry is almost as bad as our health industry, I swear. Um, I, it, you know, those are the two industries that I went out and got more education in and learned about them. And I horribly disappointed with both of them. I wonder how many other industries we have that are that bad. Let's uh, let's bring Alec in this morning. Alec, good morning. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Well, I can think of another industry that ought to get our shackles up. It was insurance. Oh, boy, you're not kidding. You know, I because I had to in order to become a certified financial planner, I had to, there were five areas I had to be competent in. Let me see if I can even remember them. Taxes, which was an easy one for me because I had already been doing taxes for years. So that one was uh, kind of a freebie. Mm -hmm. Estate planning, which was outrageously complicated and hard to learn and way more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, Retirement planning, that's three. Oh, health planning and insurance. I had to be competent in all forms of insurance as well. And so I kind of consider insurance part of the financial planning industry, and it's uh, mm. it's just an awful industry. It, it is. Um, and Joel and I are, you know, looking at and evaluating different health plans for the company. So that's just one thing that, you know, but the whole trucking insurance thing is yet another and unless we look at a trucking company from a holistic standpoint vis-a-vis compensation for the drivers because if you don't have a proper financial uh plan for the for the employees meaning a pay plan that's comprehensive right not just what the ata likes to promote is this piecemeal pay by the mile you know that <laughs> that's so antiquated it is and and it, and it doesn't it doesn't incentivize or motivate the driver to do the right thing. And so right at the outset, when Joel and I set up Alpha Drivers, we had a lot of conversations about how do we 
set it up properly so that we get the proper outcomes and the driver makes a decent living. And we're not talking about 40 or $50,000 either, because, you know, right. if you take right. a driver right now, the average, I think ATBS says like around $55,000 is the average owner operator bottom line income. But, you know, if you look at all the hours worked, what was that saying? Uh, it's, it's the only industry where you, you work for, a hundred hours, but you, you show <laughs> 70, but you get paid for 40. Yeah. I mean, and it comes out to like $16 and 48 cents. The last time I calculated it, you know what the biggest you know, challenge here in my town pays 19 bucks. Yeah. Well, I, I know you guys know what the biggest challenge is. It, it, it's not that hard to come up with better ways of paying drivers. I know you guys have done it. We've talked about it. The biggest challenge is being the, the pioneer that goes out and does this in an industry mm. that isn't doing it. Well, you know, you mentioned that. So we decided to put our money where our mouth is. We're doing it. Good. Um, now we're not a fleet. I get it. And we, <laughs> we kind of want to do it to say, Oh shit, can we really do this? Well, well no, you I know, think that's a great are idea. Are we up to the challenge? Right. And so we're doing it. Um, you know, I have to cut the checks and I'm like, Oh, this one hurts, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is, but, but we're getting, we're getting the productivity as well. Right. And we can look our employees in the eye and say, Hey, look, we're paying you for all of the time that you're working and working time is defined as, you know, the time when you're working, that you're not at home. Correct. It, it doesn't matter. You know, if we show up at a receiver and they put us in a dock or we have to wait for three hours, Heck, I think I had to pay Joel six hours uh, one day per sitting. Yeah. You know, but that's the deal. It's through no fault of his own. And if he's not playing with his dog out in the backyard, he should get paid. Yes. You know, Travis got three hours and some on on a day. You know, yeah, we, we charge sure. detention and everything, but right. I still end up underwater. But but the driver gets paid as he should. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's a challenge. But it ties into insurance because it is, but it ties into insurance because we want, eventually we're going to be adding another truck. And as a new DOT, as defined as less than two years old of DOT seasoning, they put a limit on how fast we can grow. I can't add a second truck until I have two years of seasoning on my DOT, which is asinine. Oh, yes, it so, is. But... But if I'm a big fleet, I can add a whole bunch of new drivers and not have to worry about it. And I have to pay out nuclear verdicts because they've got the newbies. And yet, you know, Joel, who's got 36 years and almost uh, five and a half million miles, he can't add another truck or a co-driver under his expert tutelage because we are deemed at a higher risk. I mean, the, the, the underwriting guidelines, the structure is bass backwards. <laughs> I don't know why we've allowed insur the insurance industry to dictate how almost every other industry has to operate. Yeah, well, you mentioned medical. I mean, Joel, oh, when he mess. had his procedure, right. they, they, sent, they sent a letter saying, we don't think this was medically necessary. So uh, you owe, you know, we're not going to pay. <laughs> I mean, it, it is yeah. really asinine. So it, it is. we're going through this whole thing about, you know, it, it, looking for insurance companies. I'm down to two and I've got a call after this one to kind of go through all of that. But yeah, it's just, I tell you what, you've got to fight for everything. Yeah. Um, there, and no a, an individual owner operator driving down the road 
cannot spend the time to go through all of this. It's just, I don't know. You it, know, it's, it's, like I, I you am, said, it, it's a shame that we've let. It is. I'm, I'm big on relationships in all areas of our business mm-hmm. where we need them. If I, and so one, I don't care how good you are with the wrench. In today's world, you need a good shop. So that's a place where you take time to mm-hmm. build good relationships. If you, it, it, customers, a word we almost never use in this industry, you should build good relationships with your customers. But then in this industry, we have to educate people on who their customer really is. Most people using brokers never (laughs) look at the broker as their customer, but that's what they are. And if you're going to use them, you should take the time to build good relationships. I will also say if you're going to have your own authority, you should have an agent, an insurance agent. You shouldn't just be randomly calling insurance Mm -hmm. companies and trying to find coverage. Go get an agent and let them do that for you and let them make sure you have the right coverages and let them find the companies that don't have these goofy rules about. So I want an independent agent when I do insurance. Mm -hmm. I want an agent that can shop the market and find the policies that I need at the best price and then make sure I have all the right coverages and I don't have too much coverage. And I I only trust an agent Mm -hmm. to do that. I wouldn't try to do that on my own. Right. Well, and the issue is we, we had a great agent, uh, Corey Allen out of Arizona. Fantastic. And, uh, but he didn't have great West. And so through Nastic, we're, we're members. And so we do enjoy a lot of good, uh, the people there at Nastic are, are absolutely wonderful. And so they got us with great West and, um, but great West puts a limit on how fast you can grow. So to your point about building relationships, now I got to write a letter and say, Hey, look, this is what we're doing. This is why we're better than everybody else. This is why we're safer than every by structural design, but you got to educate them and so that they can make an exception to their underwriting guidelines. Yeah. So it's a process, but it's something that uh, has to be done. Speaking of which, Joel is trying to call me. Okay. Um, he probably doesn't have your number. So I'm, I'll let you talk for a second and I'll give him your number. Got it. <laughs> Just Perfect. for a second. All right. We will uh, come back to both of you guys here. Uh, oh, Henry's in. So I'll grab, uh, oh, there's Henry and Joel. So, um, we can all talk over hey, each other now. Hey, good, good morning, guys. Hey, good morning, Kevin. And and I also have on, and he just called in, all right. Ryan with me that's with Freightliner that has been running team with me half of this week from Oregon back over to Houston. Excellent. Good morning, Ryan. So if, if you can. Hey, good morning. Great to have you on the show. How's the road? Yeah, thanks for having me. Good, smooth right now. <laughs> yeah, we've had some weather. We had some weather yesterday. Yes, it's always an adventure. We had snow, we had sagebrush, we had wind. Yeah, that but, sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. It added to the adventure of two people that aren't used to running teams. <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. Are you guys still talking to one another? <laughs> No, I, I, I closed the curtain. <laughs> you know, no, I, we're talking five. He, he hasn't stranded me anywhere yet. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Um, I, I've had that happen with teams. So I, I never, ever had the desire to run team with anybody. 
But when I was at FedEx and I bid on team runs, it would never really dawned on me until it was too late. If somebody doesn't show up, you can't just let the run not go. Those are dedicated runs. You got to cover them. So it became very common um, with teams. You'd lose one driver. So I'd have to jump in and uh, till I could find another driver. And eventually that was enough for me to give up all of my team runs and just go back to single runs. It was easier. It's, it's hard. Uh, you know, I'm not used to it and Percy doesn't drive every day by no means. And from the corporate side, wanted to, well, one, I needed to have the truck at an event up at Portland and here in about a few hours, we have to have it at another event in Houston. So I remember <laughs> during the discussion, I said, there's only one way this is happening, right? You so need another driver. Th- there we yeah. are. Yeah. And, and, and the other part is, and it's been happening some with many of the people in corporate at Daimler Trucks North America, they've, Ryan's the second one that's going out here and experiencing the truck going to real docks, not, not going from hotel to restaurant, restaurant to hotel, of really experiencing the truck as the end user would. Excellent. And, good. and it's been a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad they're willing to get out and do that kind of stuff because you learn a lot. If not, I'll twist their arm. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, you know, when I used to have trucks with team runs, I I went through the, you know, you hire two drivers and one quits or they don't get along, so they're always fighting about something. That's a hassle. So then I thought, well, it's got to be better to just hire husband and wife teams. And in a lot of cases it is, except when they quit, they both quit. Now you really have a problem. So it, it got to the point where I was too busy doing other things to keep managing teams, and I just had to get rid of them. Uh, the one I always remember with people getting advised about being team, whether it's husband and wife or otherwise, and, and I remember hearing it from somebody we all know, Linda Caffey, and I remember her saying the, the test is for a husband and wife to see if they can run team and be compatible doing that is to lock yourself in the bathroom together for a week. <laughs> That's a And if you end. can make it, you'll be I mean, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad analogy. Uh, I don't know what happened. It, to, it's about to, the same amount of space. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think your bathroom's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> most bathrooms are. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought I brought Joel in, but I just looked up on the board and he's not there. Alec, did you talk to him? Yeah, I did. He's uh, under the weather. He's got a nasty cough, so he's going to apologize that he's not going to join. Oh, that's fine. So. And and we're um, we're going to be short today. Normally, we just go till we run out of questions or a couple hours. Today, we're going to knock off right at 10 my time, which is about 40 minutes or so. I've got to get on the road to go down and pick up the coach. I forgot what it looks like. I'm pretty sure it's been in the shop since like last (laughs) November. I'm pretty sure it was last. It's been almost a year that it's down in the shop. So there is a lot to go over. They did a lot of stuff while I was down there. Uh, And I'll be taking off in a trip in about a week to Nashville with it. Uh, You know, this would be a case where I almost feel like recruiting a team driver because I kind of want to get to Nashville as quick as I can and then get back as quick as I can. Usually for me, that's about three and a half days from here because I still have to do the show. So we'll see. Um, 
Anything we want to talk about right now, or do we just want to keep taking calls? And most of the calls right now look like they're all trucks and, and uh, engines, so that should be good. Anything anybody wants to talk about first, though? No, not, not other than it's interesting to run team when you're not used to it. But. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, well, that's how it used to be for me, because sometimes I would go months without needing to fill in. And then I would just out of the blue, usually with very short notice, have to jump in and, and run team for a little while. It used to just wreak havoc with my schedule. You know, you know and adding to it, you know, like this Cascadia I'm driving with, the air ride steer, air ride suspension, the link cabmate active cab suspension, and, and the comforts we have in the trucks today Oh, can you imagine doing this in 1975? Oh, my God. Well, well, it sounds like it's a little more comfortable than my my 1979 GMC Astro with a like a 186-inch <laughs> wheelbase yeah. and spring ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, you were deluxe if you had four spring. Exactly. You know, I, I drove one walking beam. I used to, the one truck I drove that a walking beam. I remember I used to do 1115 a lot in Pennsylvania, where those two routes run together. Yeah. And, and my joke was when I was empty coming back that I had air ride because when you looked in the mirrors, the tires weren't on the ground but half the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, things are a little more comfortable these days. The one thing I was going to mention, um, I was hoping Joel would be here for this. We'll, maybe we'll talk about it again next week. Um, I was looking at the uh, Volvo Super Truck Project. They put out some pretty darn mm-hmm. impressive numbers, and uh, this isn't shocking. This is exactly what we would expect, but they got their biggest gains on this truck over the last um, Super Truck. All of their biggest gains were in aerodynamics. Well, air is huge. It is. And it is. Well, yes. While you're on the super truck subject, and, and I have Ryan on the line with us, and being they're not using super truck one, I keep trying to get them to loan it to me for a month. Yeah, exactly. You That'd know, be awesome. Yeah, let's get let let's get out here and run run a real month with it, right? Right. So you know, work work, mm-hmm. work Ryan over a little bit while we have him on the line here. Yeah. Maybe not team. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to run team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you well, go. Well, that's okay. If you give it, if you give it to Henry, Henry can run it solo. I'm sure he would be okay with that. Hey, no, it's, it's all right because there's. It's sort of like team yet still out because it's me, myself, and I, and the voices in my head. Well, well, let's um, right. let's start a little <laughs> friendly competition here, Ryan. You you make sure that Henry gets the the Freightliner Super Truck One, and since Volvo's on to Super Truck Two now, we should get Joel the Volvo Super Truck One, and we'll have a little bit of fun comparing them. Sounds I think good. That's a great idea. <laughs> I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, yeah yep. I would. Um, you know the the. I'll see if I'll pass that along. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to keep the back. You know, we're doing a service for them, Kevin. We got to sell this. You know, we're keeping the batteries charged up, stopping the tires from getting flat spotted from sitting there too long. So I don't even wash it. It didn't. Didn't those trucks cost like sixteen million dollars or something? I just pulled a number out of (laughs) 
my ass. Um, they cost an awful lot of money, it seems uh, like, uh, every time I, I look at it. And I understand <laughs> why. But you're right, Henry. We shouldn't just let those things sit there. That's the worst thing you can do to a vehicle. we got to get them out and work them. Yeah, we got to help them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we don't it, want those things to become museum pieces. No. Well, well, they can do that afterwards. Even museum pieces like the, yeah. the indie cars that are at Indy, they take them out and exercise them. Right. Yeah, let's go work these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be the exercising exactly. service. There you go. You know, I, I was um, the exactly. reason the, the arrow caught my attention so much that they're still making those kinds of gains on arrow. Um, when did the, the first T600 come out? Was it in the 80s or was it, I think it was late 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. It was early 80s. And I remember was it when early it came 80s? out because okay. I'm like, I was working at Weaver's Chicken back then. And I remember seeing them and, and you know, I raced cars and I was racing back then. And when the T600 come out, I'm like, finally, somebody made a truck that's in a shape that makes some sort of sense. Prior to that, a couple years prior to that, I remember having a Freightliner cab over, and I'm trying to remember what they called that thing. It was supposed to be more fuel efficient, and about the only difference I could see in it was that right where the the kind of grill and body met the windshield, they kind of sloped the windshield back a little bit. Um, it was about the only real yep. significant difference I could see. But they even had a name that was something about efficiency, I think. I just don't remember what that was. Well, I know was. the one, they, but that, that was later. They had the Silver Arrow. Yeah, I forget what they called this. It, it, it seems like it was probably something liner because that they were using those names a lot. Um, then the the... Really interesting thing is, if we go back and look at the trucks in, in the 40s and 50s, weren't they far more aerodynamic well, I, than the yeah, trucks all, in the 70s and 80s? Well, yeah, and and you know why that is, Kevin? During I think that it, era... It was manufacturing well, processes, they, they weren't re- No, they weren't really that arrow. They looked arrow, because looking arrow and being arrow is not necessarily the well, same thing. But in the 40s and the 50s, airline travel and the rocket age were becoming the thing. So they right. tried to make yeah. everything look like a rocket. You know what? You know when all the cars became square in eight in the 80s. You know, with all the square headlights and all that. The reason they got so squared off, they were the first cars that were getting designed on a computer instead of as a clay model, and the computers were not able to do the complex shapes yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's it's shocking how long it took us to get to, to the aerodynamics we're at, and yet we still know that it's the biggest place for us to gain. The frustrating part for me is there's not much we can do as an end user. You know, we can modify engines still. We can we can play around with drive lines and resistance and drag and all kinds of things. There's just not much we can do with aerodynamics. We, we tried. It is really, really expensive. Well, the majority of what's out there in, in reference to changing the body shape of a truck 
is done to destroy the aerodynamics. Oh, it can be. Yeah, you're right. We we were trying to fix it, and you know, part of it is it's not an easy thing to understand. It's not an easy thing to test, and the modifications you try to make are just really expensive. Absolutely. Yep. I've always been surprised at like. Is Jones still in business that made the replacement aftermarket hoods and stuff like that? that? That's who we worked with. That was the, we built the, okay. we, we built a truck called Slick um, and it's still out there. I saw a picture of it just maybe six or seven months ago that somebody saw it on the road and it was still running. We worked with, with them and we were building a, another kind of signature truck and we the we took a W9 and we made a W9 way more aerodynamic and we called it slick and they built a whole new hood for it a custom hood um, we built custom fairings back around the frame and the wheels and really smoothed out a lot of that truck um, clearly it wasn't going to be you know a, a T600 or a T2000 but it was it was much more aerodynamic than it used to be, and it was a really cool-looking truck because it was so different. Well, that, that'd almost be like starting with a car carrier. The worse you are, the more you have to gain. And that's why we did it. it well, well, there was two reasons. One, because of this insistence of people still wanting classical trucks, you know, classic style, we thought, okay, maybe we could help them. They could still have their classic and their long hood, but maybe we could squeeze another mile per gallon out of one of these things. Uh, unfortunately, I have no idea what happened. So Bruce was involved in this originally, and Bruce knew them really well. Their, their shops aren't that far apart. Um, uh, Fleet Air Filters got involved. David Counts got involved heavily in this. Um, we flew, David flew up um, a couple times. I would, I was in, uh, oh, where was I living back then? Florida probably, but I was on the road a lot. So I think I would stop in. We spent a week there playing around with this stuff. And then all of a sudden, before the project ever really got going, something happened with the relationship at Jones, but I don't know what it was. They just kind of stopped returning calls and they never had time to work on it. And I, I don't, it, the whole thing just kind of fell apart, but I never understood why. Yeah, and you know what's also weird with aerodynamics is in this industry, the amount of people that reject it. I go into the, uh, I think back of the, the Peterbilt football helmet cab over. I always forget the model number. Yeah. But that was, that, that thing was, it was right, but the market rejected it. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know why the, the market, why we lost all cab overs for the most part in the over the road industry that had nothing to do with efficiency. Length, length laws. Uh, no, no. When we lost it, the biggest reason we lost cab overs was workers comp. Mm-hmm. Well, that and it became legal to be longer. Yeah, you could be. That shouldn't have eliminated them. We should have gotten longer models, and right. we could get longer models if we want them. But there was no reason to get well, rid of the cab overs other than no. the, the secondary factor was drivers. Um, fleets wanted well, to buy trucks it, that drivers wanted. But the most significant factor was the workers' comp cost. And the last ones were, you know, I thought it was pretty innovative with the Argosy cab over that Freightliner built off the Sentry platform. 
that when you opened the door up, a staircase opened up. That was, that was the, cool. That was the attempt to try to solve that problem. And I think it was just a little, it was too little too late. The, the cab over was already dead. It was on its way out. Um, you, you know, and, and look, you know, I deal with truck driver health. 300 pound people did not do well climbing in and out of cab overs. You didn't become 300 pound as quick when we had cab overs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I used to use a, I used to use a cab over for P and D work, 30 stops a day. And every once in a while, I, so would, did even, I. I, I would even get stuck with a trailer that had swing doors. So now on 30 stops a day, you have to get out of the truck two times more to open and close your doors. I got to the point, honestly, I, I set the brake, reached out with my left hand, grabbed the handle and jumped. Yep. That's what I did. I did a Freightliner cab over in food service. Oh, <laughs> it was, fun. Yeah. It, it was it, 28 drops was my Thursdays. I still remember that. Yeah. And they didn't like me to take off Thursdays because I knew every shortcut. And if they put somebody else on my run, they brought part Good of the load back. It. Yeah. And and on the uh, roll-up door on the back of the reefer, it was a straight truck Freightliner with a sleeper on it. We used it for emergency runs, too. You know, so that's why they had it in, in existence. But, yeah, you'd leap out the door. The one I remember, you remember the old air ride seats that had the uh, up and down almost like a trigger? Oh, yeah. And the back of my but the back of my coat that I was wearing in the winter caught on that, and it hung me on the side of the truck. <laughs> was that digging into my back? And I, and I couldn't get my feet on anything to get myself off of it. I was hanging like a rag doll off the side of the truck. It was hilarious. But on the back door of the Morgan van body it had on it, the like a lot of the food service guys did, they'd extend that strap and you'd jump off and the roll-up door broke your fall from going to the ground. Oh, yeah, I would do that all day long when I had a roll-up door. Yeah, I would always jump off backwards with the strap in my hand. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yep. all right. We, sure uh, enough. We can tell truck drivers good old day. Yeah, we should <laughs> probably get to some phone calls. This is a call-in talk show, so let's get started we're going to go to Pennsylvania. Jim, welcome. Hey, what's up, guys? What can we help you with today? We talk some fuel mileage. All right. Uh, well, I've never been able to get fuel mileage. In my 22 years as an owner-operator, I've tried hard, and I've tried a lot of the stuff that you recommended, but maybe it's my operation. I don't know. But I'm glad well, that Henry on. and hold the on. Detroit me, man are here. Let me okay. address that. Yep. Because uh, we like to dispel myths around here. There is not any, <laughs> any type of trucking operation that would stop us from improving fuel economy. And the reason is fuel economy is physics. Everything about fuel economy comes down to physics. Physics are laws. Mm -hmm. And the last time I checked, I don't think the laws of physics have changed recently. It, it's aerodynamics. You're correct. It's mechanical drag. It's the overall fuel efficiency of the engine itself. And it is uh, rolling resistance, which could also be added to mechanical drag. Those things are all physics. It and, doesn't matter what. And driver the habits. Yeah, we could throw driver yeah. habits in, but that's technically it's physics Guilty. because the drivers can have an impact on the physics. But. There is not an operation out there that is not subject to the laws of physics. 
So when you say maybe it didn't work because of my operation, that's not true. I don't know why it didn't work. It may have worked and you weren't able to test it properly. That's very common. Trying to test fuel economy on one truck with one driver when you've got all the variables of different loads constantly in different weather and different everything is really, really difficult. I cringe every time somebody calls me and says, I did what you said, and on the very first trip, I gained a half mile per gallon. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you really didn't, but congratulations anyway, and, and let's keep tracking. So it's very possible some things you did actually created a gain, you just didn't know it. Definitely gained power, which I'm guilty. Yes, I like the power. Well, I can tell you uh, so what happened then. If it's I very, very get... common. Uh-huh. Well, I think, we've, I think we found the problem. Yeah, anything <laughs> that improves performance can also be abused and will create less fuel economy if you're not careful. That happened to me. Horses like to be fed. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's fun to drive a truck with all kinds of power, and it's fun to pass people going up hills, and, mm-hmm. and we all do that when we get a little more power. Um, but we've always told people, look, if, if we fix your aerodynamics, that's just a fix. We're going to see the gain. If we fix your drag anywhere, that's a fix, and we're going to see a gain. If we make the engine more efficient through some sort of a modification, we should see a gain unless you get a little happy with that right foot. And then we could see a decrease. Yes, I agree. So where are we now? All right. Can I lay out my, I have a 195700 Western Star, DD15, DT12, single overdrive, 285 rears. And... I do have a PDI tune. Uh, had to do something because I was used to Wait, the power. Hold on. Then I got this hold on. Thing. I want to go through some numbers. <laughs> Single overdrive right. with 285. What is your RPM uh, at even? Correct. Mm-hmm. What's your RPM at 65? Uh, I can tell you it's 61. It's 1150. Okay. Yeah. It, it, Kevin, the. With a 0.78 overdrive that the DT12 has with a 285, it's about identical to a 228 direct drive. Okay. Huh. And at 61 miles an hour, 1150, that's not bad. Yeah, I, it huh. seems a little high to me. Yeah, it was. It, it is now, but at the time when those were being put together, the yeah. 285s and the 228s, it was pretty cutting edge at the time. Yeah, you're right. We're, we're yeah, just, I let the dealer talk me into it. He talked it, me out of 246s and told me. It's not horrible. I think we could yeah. have done a little better with what we know. But um, so, all right. Yeah. So what's the question? Well, mainly my question is, how do I drive this thing? Slow. Well, yeah, I, I can get. Oh. Yeah, I, I've slowed okay. down and I've gained. Yeah. Yeah. I slowed down from the speed limit to 58 to 61, and I've gained. I went, went from the high sixes to the mid sevens. Good. Oh Good. yeah. Yep. And we would expect yep. that. But um, now, tell us about the operation because mid sevens sounds kind of pathetic for these specs. 
uh, Conestoga, Spread Axle. Oh, there we go. There you are. Yeah, now we know why. <laughs> it's pulling a parachute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like my van was. Sort of, except like wide. No, it is and, not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. You're, 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 you, could no, never, no. you could never watch your van sides flapping in the wind. <laughs> or if you could, there good. was a problem. They don't flap that much. Yeah. Oh, no, they do. But, uh, don't, don't, don't kick yourself. They do flap. And it's not as rigid as a, as a van. So there, there is some drag going on there. Uh, as somebody said, uh, a Conestoga is wider, three inches, I believe, on each side. So your aerodynamic resistance Ha, has and, gone up quite a bit, and the and, spread and a western start a, to begin issue. with. Yep, well, no, it's it is. Start fifty-seven. It's the arrow version. Okay. Um, so, but so, going back to that, I used to have spread axles when I was a flatbed, and the difference between a spread axle and a sliding tandem, the operating cost difference made it that my trail was free every five years when I had a slider versus a spread. That's what I mean. Really. That spread is, oh. is a significant impact on fuel economy. Well, yeah, two axles, 10 foot, one inch right. apart are not happy. Right. They're not happy about life in general. No, you're, they and, are, the and aerodynamics that, are the way ugly. They, well, that's not just the aerodynamics, it's the rolling resistance, because there isn't a road out here that's perfectly straight, and in a tandem, you're dragging the tires more on a spread than you are a closed tandem. Yep. Plus, the way they generally have the mud flaps mounted on those units is like four parachutes, because they go that's all the way I mean. to the body, right. and any air that the front axle doesn't stop, the back one's going to get. Well, so, for the for the it's most like part, the world's working against you. when we have closed tandems, you create one aerodynamic problem. The entire unit is creating an aerodynamic problem. Separate them, and now you have two aerodynamic problems. And one is feeding the other one. It's feeding it dirty air. So. All right. But other than everything you got, perfect. (laughs) Well, Henry, how do I drive this? I I don't keep it in in auto because it'll downshift two gears on a small grade. It, it's ridiculous. So I keep it in manual. Do I grind it down? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. So, so back up here, you said it shifts down two gears on a small grade. Is it this does. on cruise it, it, or on your pedal? Uh, I, I'm almost always on cruise. There's part of but your problem. On the pedal too. Yes. When, no, the reason I say on the pedal at the bottom of the pedal, do you notice how when you push down the pedal, it goes through a detent? Yes. If you go through that detent, it makes it shift one of those gears to begin with. Have that yeah, shut I, I, off. That's called kickdown mode. Get rid of it. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. All right. Very uh, good. So that's not a problem, yeah. But my question is, do I do I hold the gear all the way down to 950 RPM? Is so that what how year I model should is your be truck? driving it? It's uh, a 19. What year model was it? 2019. Hang on, I have Ryan here. Western Star had IPM already, right? Yes, yes, it did. Yep. So, your truck has IPM. One of the quickest ways to try and get there is to see what it's wanting to do. And your truck, when you have the cruise set and you get your foot off the pedals and you're not interfering, it is reading the hills ahead of you by GPS and it knows what you're going to hit before you ever hit it. 
even when I'm empty, Henry, it'll it'll downshift two years when I hit a, a you know even a short little sharp upgrade. It's ridiculous. What RPM were you at? Uh, it, you know, I don't know, eleven, twelve. Okay, but it happens all the time. I I, I never leave it in auto. I, I just keep it in manual. You're you're, you're one that. of the gear ratios that I did not like that much when they came out. Of course. They were trying to bring the market there one gear set at a time. And the 285-228 setup, I called it tween because it wasn't really good at being downsped, right? Correct. And, and it also wasn't, it wasn't really good at pulling either. So it ended up in between both, right? And I like the 216. I like the 264. But it, it takes you to that next step. Now it doesn't hang in top gear, but when it falls down one gear, you're at the right place. And being our speed limits are in five mile an hour increments, that 228 or the 285, which is essentially the same thing, with where our speeds are, you end up in between. So putting it in manual so it don't do the downshift on that might be the right thing when you're empty or light. You're going to have to experiment with that, but. That's one of the problems with that particular gear ratio. Although the speed you say you're willing to run with it should put it in a fairly happy place. Okay, so am I am I damaging anything? I know I hear Joel say no. that I can't log the Volvo. No, you. Can I log a Detroit? You're not going to hurt it. No. Just I mean, I wouldn't go below. I wouldn't go down. below 900. I don't go down nine below 950. Yeah, let, you're all right. Let, let's address even, that. Even when I'm you know, 80,000 pounds. Let's address the lugging issue. Yeah. So there was a time when lugging a diesel engine did massive amounts of damage to it. It was really bad to lug a mechanical engine. The reason being, the only thing that controlled the fuel going into the cylinder was somebody's right foot. And when the RPMs dropped too low and they just kept, pushing on the throttle, you flooded that cylinder with more fuel than it could ever burn, and it washed down past the rings, diluted the oil, and that's why we replaced bearings every 250,000 miles on mechanical engines. Electronics almost almost completely eliminated the idea of lugging. Mm -hmm. You can go to to an arc. Well, hold Let me finish. I was just about to say, you can take these trucks to an RPM that is not optimal. It's too low. You probably, and I'm going to use the word probably, won't do any damage unless it's pretty extreme and you start pounding the crank. And, you know, the ISX is is subject to that. We can't drop that engine too low in RPM. Uh, Both the Volvo and the, the Freightliner will handle really low RPM without that being a problem. So, yeah, you could drive a truck in an RPM range that's not optimal, but you're probably not going to do damage to anything unless you're doing something really extreme. Kevin, can I add one thing to that, though, that I just remembered he had said? Yeah. He said the engine had a tune put on it. Oh. When it has a tune put on it, could possibly through that be in a situation where it will allow it to hurt itself? Yeah. Having not been somebody with experience with tunes. 
Yeah, they could have changed the tune and messed with the injectors and were putting more fuel in than, than is necessary. Yeah, that can happen when the tune is done wrong. When the tune is done right, that won't happen. I know a lot of the people that work at Detroit in engineering, and I generally don't try to outsmart them. Um, I, most of them will forget more than I'll ever know. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I've seen way too many engines tuned properly that, that there are significant improvements. I, I'll also say this. Yeah, there can be. Over time, that is becoming less and less likely. You well, know, if we go back well, the, to the... the, 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 the Early emission engines, the you know late '90s, early 2000s tunes are amazing on those engines. Re- it can make huge differences. You get up to the newest engines coming out now. There's not nearly as much we can change with the tune. No, I can. This truck from the factory was 1754, and the tune put it up to. About 19. Whose tune is it? Unless the update says lowered it. PDI. PDI, in my opinion, and I don't know all of their tunes. We can't see them. Over the years, PDI, in my opinion, has been a little aggressive on fueling. Made my cat run good. (laughs) Oh, look. I'm looking at Which which cat? Tell me what model cat. uh, Acer. Yeah, no doubt. Again, we're going it's back to, turbo, like I said, yeah. older technology. I've got a, I've got a crazy tune on my uh, C13 A-shirt. I'm probably, we didn't get a chance to get it on the dyno. I'm probably north of 700 horsepower and about 2,200 <laughs> foot-pounds of torque on my coach with, an a, with a C13 A-shirt. So, yes, those are the engines I was talking about wow. that we could really get all kinds of horsepower and performance out of those. And you also have to be very careful about driving those when they're that hot. Yeah, mine was 790 to the ground, 2,500 pounds of torque. And I broke the shaft off the front of transmission. Yeah, well, you will. And, and the other thing with the catch you have to be careful of is blowing head gaskets and cracking heads. Didn't keep it long enough. So, I got, hey, got uh, fuel mileage truck. So I, I got a crazy idea. What about can you turn that PDI off and yes. just run the truck stock? Yes, I, I might try that because I don't know that the PDI is working for you. Like um, Kevin said, it may be more tuned to po- making power and, and fueling, and that might be hurting your fuel economy. Although I would think it would prevent you from. Uh, having to do a double downshift, but, you know, who knows? Well, it it could, except if you want to get up the hill faster than everybody else, then, you know, those tunes, that's where we see the tunes kind of fall apart. Right, but that's why then we shouldn't be having a fuel economy conversation (laughs) because they're mutually exclusive. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And we... uh, It's a a little bit like when I used to haul fresh chicken and they'd say, it needs to be here by this time, but don't speed. And I had to ask them, which one do you want? Yeah, you can't do both. Mm -hmm. Come on. Yeah. All right, we have, uh, we've got to move along. We've got to knock out a couple calls here before I got to take off. We're, uh, we're going to Idaho this time. Gary, welcome. Okay, I want to spec um, aerodynamic truck because of your conversation last week with Joel and Henry. You'll be forced to get rid of the old trucks. 
Okay. Right now, my operation is I'm I'm driving the truck I want, a 379P Cat, 325 gears, 18 speed. I pull 125,000 pound load on nine axles. The Volvo dealer in the area is not an option, so you'll have to go to the Detroit engine, Western Star. How would you spec Detroit engine and transmission and rear end to pull 125,000 on nine axles? Henry and Ryan, this one's all yours. I'm going to go Ryan on this one. That's out of my field, but... So I could, Sorry, I missed the beginning. I'm I, looking for arrow as well. I, I could do it on the Volvo platform because that's the one I kept looking at with all their mm-hmm. transmission and gear options and saying, boy, Volvo should be the premier heavy haul right now. So Ryan, impress us with the Freightliner's version. <laughs> Can you guys hear me okay? Yes, go ahead. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, if he's maxing out at 125, yeah, you're probably looking definitely at the DD15. Uh, DT12 and gearing. Uh, this is where the challenge be, comes in. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it'll run through our application group uh, to double to, to do some double checks, but they'll probably land around uh, probably 308 or maybe a step faster. Um, would be my guess. So the. Um, Gary, the thing we have to balance here, and um, we've got to balance the, we, we want a high gear ratio to give us low RPM. We want to downspeed this. Even at those kind of weights, we still want to downspeed, but we've got to deal with startability. So we've got to find a, and this is where I don't know on the Freightliner the way I do on the Volvo, what are, Henry, are you familiar? What are, what are the lowest gears we can get in first and reverse? Ryan knows those numbers quicker than me, but no, we we don't have on the DT12 like that 14 speed that they're running now. That that 14 I, speed I don't Volvo. Think the 12 speed. Oh, go ahead. Well, I say I don't think the 12 speed would have enough gears to have a, a low start and and still get it into uh, it, hot, you know the top gear. So the Volvo platform is would seem to be by far the superior. What, where are you located? The Pacific oh, Northwest. I, I, I haul Idaho, Montana, <laughs> Utah, Wyoming. Okay. I was hoping you were, when you were talking this nine axle, I was hoping you were a Michigan special guy. And it was no. funny because during this truck shortage, the one dealer, the people that were doing this heavy Michigan special stuff, they couldn't get trucks. And they bought these used CD13 DT12 trucks that were for a grocery store and started using them in an application they were never designed to be in, and they're being surprised how well they're doing. <laughs> not to build it that way. I'm not, I would never build that way to begin with. But some of the stuff that where we think we need X amount of gears to get the weight going, but you're out Pacific Northwest, which is where I just came from. I'm not used to those kind of hills. Yeah, you know, we go over a 6, 6% grade twice a day. Yeah. So we're, we're going to pull it. It has to pull. But I'm just curious where you would try to go if I upgrade my old truck and try to go to 2017 to 2019 Detroit set. I I don't think a 12 speed and is going to be as far off as you think for the amount of gears you have because the amount of torque rise these engines have 
they they don't need the amount of gears excuse me that they used to in fact they skip over a lot of the gears a good bit of the time as Alec knows they don't with the automated product they don't even use every gear except for when it gets real extreme I agree with you Henry here's really where the extra two gears come in for Volvo if you think about it the two gears were just low gears. They just added to the bottom of the transmission. They, they didn't do much different right. up on the top. They gave us two good, really low gears for startability, which allows us to go to the high gear ratio that we really want. And that's why when, when I started mm-hmm. looking at that 14-speed, that was the whole game for Volvo, in my opinion. It makes them the premier heavy hull. Uh, that drivetrain is ideal for heavy mm-hmm. haul. You can be efficient all the way through the gears and still have great startability. And with a 125,000 gross vehicle combination weight, uh, you would want a VGT, not a TC. Yes. Yeah. So, but that, you know, but, but finding we, a VGT with a crawler, I'm not sure. And we had to listen that, to the more important aspect about why he wasn't looking at the Volvo and it's because of the local dealer. That is an issue. Yes. Yes. That's a problem. Well, yeah. Certainly that's always an issue there. But I, I think Ryan's on the right track you, with the 308. that I always think when you do that kind of stuff would be because a lot of rental trucks would have really close to that spec. Rent one and go do it and see if it's doable. That way you didn't, you know, as expensive as trucks are today, why make the investment to find out that you messed up? You know, go to, you know, Penske or Ryder and rent one that's real close to that spec and know that it's a rental truck that it's not going to be like yours is going to be uh, and put it to the test on it. And you may be surprised or you may be, it may say there's no way that would work. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Good luck. Yeah, I'd also suggest uh, Ryan got something else yet. Go ahead, yeah, and these, and these specialty cases and, and, and being regionally, I, I always suggest to reach out to our uh, Detroit field sales team uh, through the dealer. The dealer can get a hold of them and and run your specific scenario and and simulate what's going to happen. That's probably the, the closest thing we can get, you know, without actually building it to figuring out what it's going to do. And I'll, I highly recommend doing that um, before you, you know, go spend a ton of money. Yeah, and I I think you're on the right track with the 308s. I would run the 285s through the calculator and see if we're even close on startability. One of the things we run into mm-hmm. um, as the buyer of the truck and understanding all this, I would be willing to take a risk on something. Like if the 285s didn't meet the startability quite right, but I know I'm the only one driving the truck. I'd be willing to take that. We, we've done it many, many times, push things past what the engineers say should happen. Sometimes you can get those trucks built and sometimes you can't. I, it just seems to me like there isn't a lot of consistency. It's like sometimes I could talk them into building something and other times they just absolutely won't. And I think another big thing to ask yourself, Henry always reminds me of this, is always remember what your average loads are, what you're typically running because some, in some cases, it may not make sense to, to spec it a certain way if you're, you know, maybe it's only once a year you're running exactly. 120. Right. Um, or something like Even that. Even if it know, were only once case. a month, you would still be willing to, to mm, change yeah. things a little bit if it's not my every day. You're right. So 
Um, the other challenge yeah. we have with, with that caller, though, was I don't think he was looking at new. I think he was talking 17 or 18. I thought I heard mm-hmm. him say that. So now we've got to try to find something okay. on the market. Right. And I, I think you were in the ballpark on the 308s, though. I think that'd be a good place to start. Um, and I would not worry about being able to do this on the the um, Freightliner or Western Star chassis. I think this is very doable, and I think we could do it efficiently too. Let's yeah. uh, let's go to Wisconsin, Jeffrey. Welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I got a question for you, fellas. I was looking at the trucks there at or on in the truck paper that Snyder has. And uh, they've got different rear ends there from like a 247, 228, 215. And just uh, wanted your opinion on the... What trucks and what engines? Give us the rest of the specs. Okay. I guess they all they got there is Detroit's, or Freightliners. So they got the Detroit's. Uh, The 215's a typo. That should be a 216. DD15's? That should be a 213. Yeah, they're DD15's. Okay. It should be a 213 and not a 215. 216. 16. All right. 216. Yeah, that's oh, okay. So I was just wondering, you know, if you could tell me a little bit on the difference in them would be on the fuel mileage. To me, of those that you picked, that 215 that you were saying, that would be my choice. That, that'd be the winner of those. Because. Okay. The DD15 just likes to turn slow, so the taller you get geared, the better off you're going to be. Quite simply, okay. giving you the Reader's Digest edition. Okay. And I mentioned, I heard you mention to that last guy you're talking to about the 264. You like that better than a 228? What's so? I guess I got that out of that. But the well, 264. So you have a lot of trucks out here with direct drives, and you have a lot of trucks out here with overdrives. And the way to figure this out, that two two fifteen, I think you said it was, okay. Yep. What I'm going to do is show you how to compare the two. The overdrive okay. ratio on a DT12, or for that matter, the Volvo I Torque is a .78. Okay. You take the .78 and you take that times the gear ratio. So in this case, two point six four. That makes your overall ratio a two of five. Now, is there a little penalty for turning the overdrive gear? Yes, but there's a bigger gain by getting to the 205 overall ratio that offsets the turning of the extra shaft in the overdrive transmission, which isn't as bad as it used to be because they're single counter shaft, not a dual counter shaft like they would have been in the past. Okay. So that when you're looking at one and you're like, oh, how's one going to pull? How's this? How's that? You know, on face value, it sounds like the 264, man, that's lower. That would pull better. But the 264 is with a overall. So you got to make sure. I see a lot of comparisons between the direct drives and the overdrives that are not apples to apples. <laughs> okay. So the, the, uh, the DT12, do some of them have overdrives and not? Some of them don't have overdrives? Correct, yes. The 264 one would be an overdrive. That would be an overdrive? <laughs> yes. Okay. Usually, <laughs> your 307, 308, uh, 285, and 264 will be an overdrive. Okay, all right. 
If you hear the number, 216, 215, 228, that's going to be a direct drive. I got you. With Freightliner. Correct. Yes. Might be a single overdrive with Volvo. Correct. So then, uh, let's see, another thing here. Do the, does the DD-15, does that come out of the, like all of them at uh, Snyder, would they pretty much come out of the factory all, same horsepower, same torque? Would you have any idea on that? I, I, I would guess, and I'll ask Ryan, there's a probably 455, 1650s. I'm not uh, that familiar with their specs, so I don't know for sure. Pittsburgh Power yeah, does have it. 1650 or 1750, I would guess. I would, um, I wouldn't be concerned about it. That's an engine I actually like to tune. Okay. All right. All right. I, they did, I asked, I asked, go ahead. Of that combination, you said that 215 would be my pick. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. They got some 2020s and some 2021s. There's two fifteens. Um, one thing they said though is you can't you can't take them for a test drive. You can start them up and look at them, and but uh, you could I, you could drive it around in a lot. You might be able to get up to ten miles an hour. They said, but you can't take it for a test drive. You know, it must be an insurance thing going on there. Yeah, it probably is. Mm-hmm. I, people might be surprised by this because I have a long list of things that I want done on a truck before I buy it, inspections and tests and pull the full ECM report. And I, I'm pretty thorough on it. I, I will tell you, for the most part, test drives are overrated anyway. I, I, I've, you know, taken all kinds of trucks out for test drives. I almost never find anything that's that's all that important and if I find yeah. something, I probably could have figured out that that was going to be a problem just from looking at the truck anyway. I just don't. So there mm-hmm. were there were many, many, many trucks I bought without even seeing them, used trucks. I used to have a dealer that was in another state that I really had a good relationship with, and I trusted them. I, 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 and I bought trucks without ever seeing them. Okay. Uh-oh, Kevin, you, you, you go down that road, you're going to start being part of the problem like Joel is. <laughs> You know, my my very first <laughs> truck that I bought, I bought it from Roadway. Like you're buying from a trucking fleet. I bought it from Roadway. And they had, if I remember right, when I went down to get mine, they had like 22 of them sitting there. They were almost all identical, except some had cats and some had Detroits. And we're talking old Detroits, six Vs. Uh, and you weren't allowed to test drive those. Uh, the very first truck I bought, I wasn't allowed to test drive. But yeah, I spent the entire day going over several of those trucks and I kept narrowing it down. And then when I got down to the one I wanted, I spent a couple more hours on it, looking it all over and bought it without ever driving it. What year did Freightliner start the, the cruise that recognizes the train head? Say that again? The You know, the the cruise or whatever that recognizes the train a- terrain ahead. Uh, you know what? what, what? They- oh, IPM. IPM. That's when did IPM start, Ryan? My gosh, my uh, mind just went. Soon. Yeah, it was like very soon after uh, DT12 was introduced. But we had a version of it before that too. Uh, I think it was. I think we referred to it as predictive cruise control. Yes. Uh, so there, that. there was a different variant of that before that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Somewhere, what, around 8 or 10, Ryan? Uh, let's see. Well, IPM and DT12, yeah, that really hit the market 
uh, was that 2011 and 12? Um, and then before that, I can't recall when Predictive Cruise was introduced. I want to say it was probably back in 2010. Yeah. Okay. So there's some Volvos I was looking at too, and, and uh, they got rear ends 264s and 247s. Can you? 247. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 247. Yeah, and you may notice a pattern yep, and that here. Will ha- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's that? I said you may notice a pattern to our answers. We're trying to get to the lowest gear number, the highest ratio that we can. Right. Right, right. Yeah. That's the... That's the so, I want to put a caveat on that, though. Some of the fleet 2.47s were direct drives. Yeah. And uh, it's extremely efficient in a narrow speed range. So really slow. Uh, you know, right. I don't know what your duty cycle is. <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's a <laughs> well. You could even go a little bit into the low sixties, sixty-two ish type of thing. But yeah. it's not going to have long legs. You're not going to want to run it. You know, you're not going to want to uh, put that to the metal. So I don't know See. what year fleet, uh, what year trucks these are. But um, uh, I am not a fan of the 247s with a direct drive. Very efficient, but uh, not very just, accommodating to various situations. And, and just so you know, yeah, if, if you have the right operation, for example, when, when I drove my own trucks, that setup would have been ideal for me. I never go fa- faster mm-hmm. than 65 in a truck ever. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if I'm in a state with 80 mile an hour speed limits and I'm in a hurry. 65 was about max for me ever. And usually it was 60 or less. And that, that I just, I decided I would have an operation where I could do that and it wouldn't be a problem. And a truck like this would have been ideal for me. Simple, don't have any overdrives to mess with. Mm-hmm. Very efficient at the speeds I'm going to run all the time anyway. Right. So if I went with the 247, I'd want to have an overdrive. Right. Well, you want to and find out that, that it is an overdrive. Yeah. Well, you can, yeah, and you can, well, what Henry was saying, you want to find out if it is an overdrive, and you can see that when you open up the door on the door jams decal on the yeah. B pillar, it'll say ATO. So if it begins with ATO, then that's a, the O is overdrive. The direct will just say AT and then like 2612F or something like that. So that's how you can determine right away. Uh, you don't have to crawl underneath it or anything like that. Just see if it says ATO or just AT. So the okay. 2.64 will be an overdrive transmission. Okay, so that is an overdrive. Yep, and that's very efficient in the 62 to 65 mile an hour. 62 to 65, all right. And then the 247 with the overdrive, what, uh, I mean, how? That's fast. awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I, I had a two. Yeah, I had a 2011 with that I re-ratioed down to 2.47, and it was a dream to drive. I thought I had a massive BMW that could just race through the hills. Uh, it, it'll outrun your capabilities. Of, so, um, you know, mid-70s is, is perfectly capable. That I'm not recommending it because uh, you'll piss away everything that you're trying to gain by, by having these tall ratios. But, um, you know, it, it's... Super efficient and direct uh, in that low 60 range. And if you need to keep, keep it up, you know, 68 to 70, you can certainly do that as well. Um, okay. And you've really got some nice versatility. What year did the turbo compounding start? When did, what year did they start that? 
I want to say that was 2019. 2019. Okay. Does that make a big difference on your fuel economy? It does, but like uh, everybody's been saying that, you know, if you have the power and you use it, then you're going to kind of give it away. Right, I right. did that some of the times with my 2.47s because I could, I did. So it takes a little discipline. The, the, the beauty about the turbo compounding is that it, it kind of gives you 50 horsepower for free because you're taking waste heat and converting that to power and you have a lot more low end torque. So it's not like it's gonna like giving you a tune and you have a whole lot of high end power. That's not really the way the turbo compounding is designed. It's just designed to be more efficient at the lower RPMs. Hence we talk about down speeding because you can. Okay. Well, that ought to, that answered quite a few questions right there. So yeah, cause I, I didn't know you know, I know that I shift 12 speed. I didn't know that there was an overdrive or a direct drive. And I was asking some of those uh, salesmen and they were telling me they're all the same. Were they based, here's, here's were, what were they they based meant, in Jeffrey. an Idaho too? Je- Jeffrey, here's yeah. what, here's yeah. what they and meant. Then, when they yeah. were saying they're basically all the same, they weren't talking about the transmissions. They were talking about the salespeople. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. In the in the uh, the guy down there, at Snyder, he told me that there's eight transmissions in those those uh, trucks down there. Um, a long time ago, <laughs> right? There there were eaten exactly. transmissions, you know, yeah. in the in the in the early two thousands. So well, they're still out there. They still make transmissions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, but not. Um, not in a Volvo with a Volvo power. Yeah, pack cars. So, pack no. cars still uh-huh. using them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe pack cars. Well, you can get them in everybody's just... yet, even the endurance. You can get them behind a Cummins. Yeah. Right, but not but not behind a Volvo. Right. Right. All right. Where where do they go if they go manual? Do they go to Eaton then? Uh, perhaps I don't know if you can even get a manual transmission anymore. I was, I, uh, that's I, how. I was actually just going to ask that. When when Henry said, do they go to Eaton on a manual? I thought, are they even building manuals? We still have people know, that get them. There's, there's, there's people out there. No, no, I know, but I'm not sure if Volvo builds them anymore. Not many. Ryan just looked at me and he said, a few. A few, yeah, not many. Yeah, I I, I think you guys are asking the right questions. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't either. I, I would sincerely doubt it at this point. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Can I and if somebody did want it, they're going to charge a premium. Hey, Jeffrey, the, if you if the, you want to uh, ask another question, I'm going to charge you twice as much for this one as we charged you for the first one. That's no, that's a deal. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, the the Freightliner with the 215 and the Volvo with the 247 overdrive. Uh, if it's an overdrive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if it's an overdrive. If not, you want the 264 because that would be taller than the 247 direct. It'd be 205 overall. Right, right. And I was going to ask the comparisons on the fuel economy on those on those two trucks, the Freightliner versus the, like the 215 and the Freightliner versus the 247 with an overdrive in the Volvo. What's hey, here's what, the, uh, here's really the best well, we can tell you accurately about that. 
Yeah. Here's really the best we could say about that. Yes, there's a fuel mileage difference. That's about all we know. Those are really close. There's so many other variables that it gets really difficult to start making those kind of comparisons. Yeah. You're you're the front row at the Daytona 500. Yeah. On any given day, either one of those could win. Exactly. Yep. What it's going to come down to is, do you have a relationship with a DR with one or the other? Right. Parts availability and all that that kind of stuff. And the condition, when when it's that close, which color one did you like best? (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Well, you answered my questions. I I was uh, now I'm on the right track, and I didn't want to screw up this time. So. Good. And remember, as you go out with your new knowledge now, and you start looking at specific trucks, you can always call back, and we'll go over each specific truck. That's Just great. be very careful, especially when you're in around that 247. And not long ago, 264 could have been a direct drive. Not that long ago. Remember them, Kevin? There oh, was yeah. a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. So so, so you, you got to really make sure you're comparing apples to apples and and, and do the math well, on that with the overdrive ratio times it. And just so people understand, if I get a call next week and we're talking about the same subject and I spec a 264 with direct drive for somebody, it's going to be because it is pre-modern. You know, we're going back to pre-emissions. That is still a really good setup in those trucks. Well, my gosh, put that together with an 11-1 series oh, 60 yeah. Detroit. Yeah, Woo! I know. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah. I know. So, yeah, and and occasionally I'll get a call and we're still specking mechanical engines. So I just want people to understand sometimes you're going to hear an answer and it's going to sound like the opposite of what I said the week before, but you got to listen closely. That's right. All right. All right. Well, thanks a lot, fellas. You're welcome. That is going to do it for today. Anybody want to uh, close with anything? Well, if you want a team drive on the way to Nashville, uh, swing through Denver, and uh, I'll go to the Nastic show as well. Oh, there you go. You you better be careful. You offered. I might just be knocking on your door. When are you leaving uh, for that, Kevin? <laughs> um, probably <laughs> a week from Monday. Um, I may look at driving over the weekend uh, just because I don't have to mess with the show, but I don't want to be down there too early because then I'm just going to have to hang out and wait. So I got to kind of play it by ear. You know, one year uh, we made the last minute decision to take it to the Louisville truck show and I recruited two drivers, recruited Aaron and uh, one of our programmers. And uh, that made for a pretty quick trip. There you go. Yeah. All right. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have you here, and you are welcome back anytime. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. We, uh, we love all the, uh, the work that these guys have been doing with the OEMs. I think that's, those are great partnerships to, uh, to figure out what works in the real world. All right. We are going to wrap this up. We will see you on Monday. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.